but by me. And I don't know that I need to belabor that point in this afternoon's uh, group of folks. But I will say this, that I did sit in a pastor's home for 13 years lost. And I don't ever want there to be a time in a church that I pastor where at least from time to time I ask people to look in their hearts and to check the sincerity of their salvation experience. Did they trust Christ as their Savior? That being said, there are four other things that must happen in order for us to grow spiritually. Number one, we have to be saved. Secondly, we need to grow toward a life of spirituality. We need to grow toward a life of spirituality. Some people uh, speak about the Spirit of God, but they deny the power of it. Look with me in the Galatians chapter number 6, if you will. A life of spirituality, I guess we could word it this way, a life of holiness, a life of uh, seeking after and pursuing after the things of the Lord. Um, the Bible speaks of the natural man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And I believe that the second thing that we've got to grow in is in this area of walking in the Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit of God. I preach a lot on this, but the truth of the matter is we go through our life a lot of times determining our actions, our directions, making decisions based on things that we know or perhaps experiences we've gone through or what we think is the best thing, and very little seeking for the leading of the Holy Spirit in the matter. The Bible teaches very clearly that the Holy Spirit... Uh, will guide us in all truth, that He will be our teacher. And we need to be sensitive to that. Galatians chapter number 6, if you will. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. How do we know if we are spiritual or not? How do we get to the place where uh, we can be considered as one that is able and capable of helping to restore someone overtaken in a fault? This challenge, this direction is given only to those that are spiritual. If you will, hold your place here for just a moment and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and I've got to find it here because I did not write this one down. All right, uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 18. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18, I believe, is the place in Scripture that tells us how to be spiritual. I, I went to some colleges, and one of the mistakes that was taught, uh, and I don't mean to be overly critical of the colleges that I went to, but... Uh, the ones that I, I went to, there was a, maybe not taught verbally, but, but certainly by exampleship, there was an equating of service to your spirituality. In other words, uh, the more you served God, the more spiritual you were. And can I say this, that the more spiritual we are, the more we will be apt to serve God. But let's not get that backwards. Uh, we don't serve God in order to be spiritual. 
I believe that the secret to being a spirit-led, a spiritual Christian is found here in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, Occasionally, I'll go to a restaurant. Well, not occasionally. More often than not, I go to a restaurant. But I'll get I'll get coffee usually when I go. And a lot of times, the waitress will come and bring uh, the coffee. Say, "Would you like a refill?" And the truth is, I'll sit there and drink five or six or eight or ten or twenty cups of coffee, and uh, they'll keep pouring it in and pouring it in and pouring it in. The the truth of the matter is, there comes times when uh, our our hearts are in need of the Holy Spirit having more control of it again. We, uh, the problem with being a living sacrifice, somebody said one time, is we crawl down off the altar. And uh, the Holy Spirit is quenched, I believe, many times in our lives when we get to the place that we begin to take back the control that at one point we gave Him. Uh, and this becomes a, a back-and-forth battle in the Christian life. How often do we take back the same control that we offer him at some point in our life? And we are in need to, as the phrase is used here in Scripture, to be filled with the Spirit again. Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit of God does not live inside of us. But the Bible speaks of the enduing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the D.L. Moody used to mention the fact that there is a difference between the indwelling and the enduing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of them is spoken of in Scripture very clearly that the disciples were supposed to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power. didn't mean that they didn't already have the Holy Spirit residing inside of them, but that He had not yet empowered them or strengthened them to do the work. And I think that so many times we quench the outward working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we are no longer sensitive to Him by taking back control. And so in this growing in our Christian life, I believe, is a constant battle of surrendering our will and our hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. That we become more and more sensitive to it as we grow in our Christian life. Um, i give you a silly illustration. <laughs> How many of you think God is in eating unhealthy foods? Any of you? I think God is in that from time to time. I was over at my sister's house the other day, and uh, simple thing, small thing. Uh, she said, uh, hey, are you going to eat with us or are you going to go out to eat? Well, I was tired and wanted to sit down, and so I was thinking I'd like to probably go out to eat, but I knew we were pressed for time, and I knew that would take time, and I thought, well, should we do that or should we not? And I stopped for a moment, and you say, Brother Greg, that's a silly thing to pray about. But the truth is, the Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And so while I'm walking from the building I'm working on into the house where my sister is, I thought, Lord, I, I think I would like to go out to eat, but what do you want? What, would, what do you think would be the best thing for me to do? And uh, I thought, and all of a sudden as I prayed that thought, I thought, boy, Taco Bell sounds really, really good. And some people say, well, that's a coincidence. That wasn't the leading of the Holy Spirit. And at the very moment that I thought that thought, my phone dinged. And guess what it was? An ad from Taco Bell. 
So I walked in the house, and my comment to my sister was, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us to eat at Taco Bell. Now you say, Berg, that's silly. But I had prayed for that. God had put it on my heart and confirmed it with a text message. You think God's into text messaging? And I don't mean that to be overly humorous, because to me, I really feel like God answered my prayer. He made it very clear to me. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if our whole life could be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God? Every aspect of it. Charles Spurgeon went on an outing with his friends one day, and they were recording the, in their journals, they were recording about the day, and they said we could never tell when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. He was as comfortable talking out loud to God and conversing with God about normal everyday things as he was with his own friends. And can I tell you this, that I believe a lot of the failures in our Christian life are failures to acknowledge God in every area of our life. Some people think of the nutritional value of Taco Bell and says there's no way God would go against his character and have you eat at Taco Bell. But I will say this, that I wish more and more we would think before we do anything, I wonder what God would have me do. I wonder what the Holy Spirit would want in this situation. You say, Brother Greg, how do I become spiritual? Is it by the amount of work I do? No. It's by the amount of yieldedness we are to the Holy Spirit. I am wanting His will done in my life. Beyond anything else. That's when a man becomes a spiritual man or a woman becomes a spiritual woman. This area of yieldedness, this area of growing in this area, uh, uh, in this area of surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. That we become spiritual, not just saved, but spiritual in our lives. Number three, I believe that there must come a growth in the area of doctrinal soundness believe that this is a very important part of things. Titus chapter number 1 and uh, verse number 9. And I know that Paul is speaking here to a young pastoral candidate in the area of Titus and trying to train him. But he says this, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. This world is starving for Christians that are sound, that have statements of truth that are not based upon their opinions, but they have statements of truth that cannot be refuted because they're based upon God's Word. That there be a soundness in our speech, there be a soundness in our life. Uh, by the way, if we say one thing and live another, that's not soundness. That's giving forth an uncertain sound. That's causing people to have confusion, for there to be ambiguity, and, and for the people to be confused. That out of one thing you say, and out of the other thing you do. James speaks about that, being a hearer of the Word and not a doer. Just this morning in Sunday school, we were reviewing the fact that last week we dealt with uh, Rachel who uh, had uh, lip service to the Lord, but yet had heart service to an idol, idolatrous uh, God, an idol. 
The idea being here that there be a soundness in our knowledge, in our temperament, in our actions, in our lifestyle, in the things that we say, that there be, uh, you know, we talked about uh, having a conversation that becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our lives will match up with our message, that there be soundness. And notice what Paul tells here to Titus as he deals with this idea of sound doctrine. He says that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. One of the great reasons that Christians have no influence in the world today is because we lack soundness. We've given the enemy their own ammunition to shoot us with. Because we've not studied, we have not grounded ourselves in soundness of God's Word. We, we say one thing and we live another. We, we say something along these lines. Well, I, you know, the Bible says this, but here's how I really feel about the matter. And so I'm going to live my life this way because, I, you know, God understands. That's not soundness. Soundness is saying, Lord, I want to come to your word with a blank sheet on my heart. And I want you to write on it. I want you to instruct me from your word. I want you to guide me. And what your word says is what I want to follow. If it says I ought to do this, then that's what I want to do. If it says I ought not to do this, then I don't want to do that. You say, Brother Greg, do I have to do that all the time? Yes, because that's soundness. And immaturity in the Christian life is, is characterized by the lack of not having soundness in our life. We're not steadfast in these things. Number three, or number four. Number four, there needs to be separation. In our life, this is one we don't like to talk about, because the truth of the matter is, sin is pleasant for a season, isn't it? Sin is fun and it's enticing for the time, for the immediate, many times. And the idea of talking about separation is something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. In fact, a lot of preachers won't preach on it because they're, it's too stifling for folks. Boy, I tell you, I, I don't want to have to be separated. But yet if we're to grow, if we're to mature in the Christian life, God has expressed that we are to be separated from this world. We're not to love the world or the things that are in this world. We're in the world, but we're not to be of it. Over and over and over again, the Scriptures deal with this topic. And, and I will say this, our separation ought not be something that we, we laud about and pride ourselves on and flaunt before other men. It should be done humbly, and it should be done out of a heart of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I fear that a lot of the separation that is taught and preached in our churches are done so for prideful reasons. We've, we've become very prideful that we, we are this way. And boy, I'll tell you, aren't we something? And we equate that with our spirituality. No, can I tell you this? I'm just a humble servant that is a sinner that was saved by the grace of Almighty God. And I love him so much that when he tells me I ought not to have some things in my life, I'm not going to have them in my life because I love him. And I don't want to disappoint him. I'm not any better than anybody else. But I'm going to have standards and I'm going to have separation simply because I love my Savior. And that ought to be the motivation. Notice what the Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter number 6. 
I'm going to start in verse number 14 as he says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship, notice this, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And I've heard a lot of Christians say, Well, you know, I hang around those folks and, you know, we have a good time together and I, I don't always do the things they do. And, you know, but maybe by being around them, I can win them some. And I'm, I'm all for trying to win somebody to Christ. But can I tell you this? We ought never to condone the things that the world does. We ought never join in and link arm in arm with them and say, okay, I'm going to live the way the world lives. The Bible says, what fellowship hath light with darkness? What communion, verse number 15, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore? Anytime you see the word wherefore or therefore, it's based on the things that were just stated. This is the conclusion of the matter. Because of all of these arguments, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. What are the things that we're supposed to come out from among? It says come out from among them. Well, verse number 14, we find there are unbelievers, there are the unrighteous, there is darkness. In verse number 15, there is Belial and an infidel. And in verse number 16, we have idols. And Paul says, come out from among them. An area that a lot of Christians get right up to this point, this threshold, and that's where they stagnate their growth. They get right up to the place of separation. And then they stop. Well, that's asking a little too much for me to come out from among all of that. I mean, after all, God's got to understand I'm not perfect. God does understand that. And don't you know that he, even though He understands I'm not perfect, He still commands me to come out from among them and be separate. Don't you think God knows our frailties and our, our inabilities? Don't you think God knows our weaknesses? He knows them intimately, doesn't He? And yet He still commands us. Can I tell you this? God will never command us to do something that He will not enable us to do. Separation. This is an area that a lot of churches today fail in. Churches that are bringing in worldly influences by the droves. And using it to relate, to be able to be relevant to today's society. Can I tell you this? I have found that the old-fashioned preaching of God's Word still works. I've found that the Bible, as old as it is, even using the King's English, is still understandable by people, even children can get saved from it. Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. We need to be saved. We need to be spiritual. 
We need to be sound. We need to be separated. And lastly, can I say this? We need to be steadfast in all of these. There are three brothers and sisters that I have. I have, uh, actually I have four. One of them was adopted. Uh, My parents became his legal guardian when he was 15 because he lost both of his parents. But blood, blood brothers and sisters, I have an older sister, and then I have a younger brother and a younger sister. All four of us uh, were raised in a pastor's home. We felt the heartache and the hurt that comes from that, and those that pastor or have pastored or been close to pastors know what I speak of when there is a lot of hurt that comes into a pastor's family many times in ministry. A lot of pain. They live in a glass house. There's a lot of temptation for pastors' kids to be so bitter and disgruntled at ministry that they take it out on God and they leave and forsake the things of the Lord. All four of us kids are serving God in ministry, active in our churches. And I've had people over the years, and I don't don't say that to brag, because by the grace of God, any one of us could fall or fail any other day. But so far in our lives, they've all remained faithful. And I have been asked from time to time, why? When we see so many pastor's kids that fall by the wayside or, or leave ministry as soon as they're out from their parents' house. My dad's life verse. If you ever had him sign your Bible, this is what he would sign. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. My dad had one year of Bible college. Dr. Lee Robertson told him to go pastor a church after one year. Wasn't the best educated, wasn't the greatest pulpiteer or didn't have all the talents that some men have in pastoring churches. But he loved people. And he loved the Lord. And he loved the Bible. My dad lived what he preached. There have been men that have come and said, How is it that all of you kids ended up in ministry and not upset at things and bitter things? Was it because you didn't have all the battles? No. Man, let me tell you something. We could write a book in our family on the battles we've gone through. We've been brought low, many of us. We've been brought to the point of breaking. Aren't you glad God never puts anything more on us than we're able to bear? He brings us right to the edge sometimes. But we're unbroken. And I've thought of that often. My brothers and sisters have thought about it. We've talked about it. People have asked us. And for the most part, all four of us agree on this concept that what my dad preached in the pulpit is what my mom and dad were at home. My dad lived what he preached. And he expected us kids to live what he preached. And I say all that to say this. He said, my dad often would say, I'm not as talented as other preachers. I don't have this that other preachers have, and I don't have that as other preachers. But he would always say this. He would say, but I can be as faithful 
as anybody. See, I may not be able to do much, but I can be faithful. And he took this as his life verse. In fact, if you go to visit his grave today down in Fort Pierce, Florida, you'll find this verse etched on his gravestone. Our world ridicules and has very little respect for Christians. I think there's a number of reasons, but I think one of the great ones is we have a lot of Christians who are wishy-washy and are not steadfast. We have people that compromise on every hand. They take the truth of God's Word and they explain it away why we don't have to follow it. They justify why we don't have to follow. A well-known, world, worldwide-known preacher, if you can call him that, was interviewed recently, just a few years ago, on national television, and asked if Jesus was the only way to heaven. And you know he would not answer the question. And these are, these are men that people look up to, give their money to, trust, to preach from week to week. Hundreds of thousands come to listen to them. And I can, I can say this, that I believe that those preachers are the result of a generation or two now that have not grown enough spiritually to get to the point of being steadfast. Paul said, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Once we've done everything we can to stand, then just dig your heels in and say, this is where I am. I will not be moved. When I know that I'm standing on the truth of God's Word, it cannot change and it must not change. And if it cannot change and it must not change, then neither should we. I think some areas that we can grow in, and when we talk about growing in the spiritual life, in the Christian life, I think sometimes we don't understand what all that means. Some of us get saved and we're happy there. We just live our life. But uh, can I say this? We need to grow spiritually. Our yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. We need to grow in our soundness making sure that we have sound truths of God's Word that we've rightly divided, we've rightly understood, and we stand on them. I believe we need to grow in the area of our separation. And I believe we need to grow in the area of our steadfastness. And this, I believe, is the direction of spiritual growth. A lot could be said on each of these topics. But when we speak of growing spiritually in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that there is a progression that must take place. Some of us are somewhere along this list. Not for me to determine. It's something that God will put into your heart as you sit and think about these things and pray about them. Lord, where am I at? Maybe some of these areas need to be strengthened in my life. Maybe I need to pursue after some of these things more than others because I've let some of them slip. I've slackened off on some of them. 
But I want to encourage you that we would focus in on these areas and work for them and be steadfast in them and be sound in them and most of all be yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you'll bless the service and the time that we've spent together today. The time that we've had in Sunday school in the 11 o'clock service and the messages that we've heard, I pray that you'd help us not to quickly forget. Lord, in this area of growing, I pray that you would help us to pursue after each of these. That we not get to a place where we are content with where we're at, but that we will grow each and every day in one of these areas or more. Dismiss us now with your blessings, and Lord, may we be all that we should be for you this week. Give us opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. Bring them across our path, and I pray that you would help us to recognize the opportunity and take advantage of it. May we be well prepared for it. Bless all that we say and do, and Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us to know how best to glorify you this week with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.